Good morning, church. Well, today is our second week in this series, Unashamed. And today's topic is Unashamed to Change. So we're going to be spending about approximately the next 30 minutes discussing something that you are unable to accomplish. You're just unable to do it. And now I realize that this declaration of your inability kind of comes to a shock or a surprise to some of you. You can't, you can't go and watch enough YouTube videos and tutorials and gain the skills of the change that we're about to talk about. I, I know most of you probably grew up with your mom telling you that you could, if you worked hard enough and put in enough time that you could be whatever you wanted to be. And you haven't figured out that she lied to you. <laughs> Or maybe you're, you're, I'm a red-blooded American living in the land of the home of the free, uh, home of the free, land of the brave, and I, if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, I can do any sort of change that I want. Or maybe you just have this just-do-it mentality. But the time, I mean, just, just a quick question. Have I successfully offended everyone yet? Okay, good, good. Because this change that we're going to talk about today is not a self-help program or improvement process. It's not a New Year's resolution, which we're about four months into 2019. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Working out for you. No, this change that we're talking about, yes, you can't do it by yourself, on your own, in your own power. Yet this particular type of change is an invitation to all of us. It it's doesn't matter where you're coming from. It's, it doesn't matter if you're coming from wherever you're coming from this morning. It is an invitation to all of you. Even if you are coming here this morning saying, you know what, telling me that I need to change is offensive. This message is for you. If you've gone to church your entire life, you feel like you have the entire Bible memorized, you, you got all the gold stars in Sunday school this message is for you. Basically, if you have a pulse, this message is for you. Because today we are talking about true spiritual change. Now, the air that we breathe in today's society has this idea that you should change for no one. That you need to be true to yourself, that you need to look inside, deep into your heart to know who you truly are. That's like the narrative of every Disney movie ever made now, right? Look into your heart, right? The, the biggest sin in today's society is not being the authentic you. So again, this, this message is for all of you, even if you're coming with that perspective this morning. But this morning, to start this authentic change or this change that we are unashamed to change starts with honest questions. Honest questions of who Jesus is. And if, if Jesus is who he says he is, what does it mean than to follow him? What does it mean to love Jesus? How does that play out in our life? If Jesus is who he says he is, are we unashamed to change like Jesus? Again, we're not, we're not talking about behavioral changes. We're not talking about do's and don'ts. That's way too easy. In asking these questions, what we are talking about is developing a heart after Jesus. 
We're, we're, we're wanting to want what Jesus wants. We, we want to like what Jesus likes. We want our heart to cry about what Jesus' heart cries about. We want our heart to celebrate what Jesus' heart celebrates. We, we want to seek and seek the marginalized and journey alongside of them. We want to live out true and perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That type of change we can't do on our own. So how do we do this? Again, it doesn't matter how deep you look within or how much you listen to your heart. To change like Jesus that we are invited to this morning, we're going to need some outside help. And to have this change happen within our lives, there's two main ingredients. Just two. Two main ingredients. And we're going to see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You can turn there with me this morning, starting verse 4. And as you read the New Testament, uh, the epistles of Paul, you, you will come to realize that there are some places that Paul just has deep affection for, and they're kind of on his good side. And then there's other places that are on Paul's bad side. The Thessalonians, or the people of Thessalonica, they're on his good side, thank goodness. So here, look at uh, verse 4 with me. It says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So in reading that, the, the, the word and the Holy Spirit comes to them in full conviction. Full conviction means a complete heart and mind change. And so what are the two ingredients? We're actually going to take them in reverse order than the passage just said. But first ingredient is this, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the main ingredients for us to change. I mean, it is the Spirit of God in which Jesus gave to us to dwell inside of us. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Any change that happens within our own hearts is produced and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus being God, what, I mean, when you think about it, have you ever thought about this? When Jesus, you know, he is our God, he is our Lord and our Savior. What does he do that's distinct than anyone else in the rest of history that we call him God? And this is a little more participatory, I think, than, than you were clued in on. Right? He did miracles. Okay. Other people performed miracles. He raised someone from the dead. Other people raised people from the dead. He rose from the dead. Other people rose from the dead. He was crucified. Other people were crucified. What did Jesus do that was distinct that we call him God? That's a part of it. He never sinned. It's this. He walked perfectly in the Spirit. He lived a life perfectly in the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, his actions outflowed from him walking in the Spirit. And Jesus is our great example. We are following him. And we want to be, have the Holy Spirit just empowered inside of us. And so the, one, the first ingredient is the Holy Spirit to any change that will happen in our heart. The second ingredient is God's word. 
God's word, the Bible, is the second ingredient. So through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, we will change. I mean, the Holy Spirit, his primary instrument is God's word to change our life. It is his word, and when we study it, and when we know it, and when we get into it, it will change our hearts. Because it's powerful. I mean, and last week we saw the power of God's word, that the power of God's word has the power to create, has the power to judge, and ultimately the power to save us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I should have gotten at least one amen out of that. I'm sorry. And that's why we're here this morning. God's word is powerful. I mean, you can be the, a first-time reader of God's word, of the Bible, and you can get things out of it. It's, the shelf is not too high. Or you can spend the rest of your life studying God's word and, get, and write theses and get, a P, get PhDs, and you will never get to the bottom of its depth. God's word is amazing. And so we have the Holy Spirit and his word to change us. So what are some outcomes if we only have one or the other? What if we, we only have one of the ingredients? Let's say we have the word, but we don't engage in the Holy Spirit. That is the quickest way to read the Bible and then forget the Bible. If we don't engage with the Holy Spirit when we are reading the Bible, it just becomes a textbook in which we read and then we put on a shelf and it collects dust and we quickly forget it. A great example of this is a few years ago, a, a writer named A.J. Jacobs wrote a book, A Year of Living Biblically. And what he did is he went through primarily the Old Testament and found all the laws that God has passed on to his people at some time. And he said, I'm going to follow them for one year. And so he lived in downtown New York City. And so he found rules like um, that certain, you weren't supposed to wear any fabric that had mixed fabric in it. So he was wearing all cotton, all white. He grew out his beard because you're not supposed to cut the corners of your beard. And he said he couldn't find the corners. And he would carry a staff and he would go about downtown New York City looking like this. Um, he said he came across some funny situations like one of the rules is you're supposed to stone adulterers. So he's like, I, it doesn't mean that you have to, it never specifies what size of stone. So he'd carry little pebbles. And one guy admitted he was adulterer. So he threw one pebble at him. Or another one, another funny instance is one of the rules is you're not supposed to sit on any seat that a woman during her period ever sat on and sat on the seat. And so this offended his wife. She was offended. So when it came that time of month, she just went around and sat in all the seats in their house. And so he spent the whole year standing. But when you read his findings, I'm rather disappointed. So he spent this whole year in God's word, reading it, trying to follow the rules in which God had given to his people. And yet here is one of his findings. It's, thou shalt pick and choose. Thou shalt pick and choose. That you should pick and choose the different things that you're going to follow in God's word. And you go, really? That's, that's the, one of the best things you got from it? And when you think about it, he has no religious background. It wasn't something he said he believed. He was just doing. And it didn't affect his heart. So essentially, he had on a hazmat suit as he's handling God's word. And it never sunk into his heart. And so we can't just have the Bible without the Holy Spirit. 
So what happens then if we have the Holy Spirit, but we never engage the Bible? Well, that's guessing. That's guessing. It's guessing what God wants. It's kind of like me and my wife. I've known my wife, Camden, for over 16 years. So I feel like I, I kind of know her. We're just getting to know each other, right? What if I decided to say, you know, I'm not going to consult her on any decisions regarding our family. I'm just going to do what's best what I think she would want. Have any men tried this? I think every guy that's tried it knows this is the fastest way to sleep on the couch because her ways are better than my ways. Amen? Amen? And his ways are better than our ways. But if you pay attention, this is happening all over the place. More times than not, I mean, when, you're, when you listen to the news or you listen to celebrities talk in particular, and they call themselves Christians and then they start to talk about what they believe. It just makes you wonder, have they ever read the Bible? And they end up creating their own religion, kind of their own belief system. And, and that's exactly what we'll do if we never get into God's word in which he shared, us, shared with us to say, what does God actually think about this stuff? So as Christians, we always want to get back into God's word. So you might be sitting here and, and asking, okay, so... Does, does this unashamed change, does it require effort? Isn't there a third ingredient? You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Bible. Shouldn't a third ingredient be my effort? And my response is, well, just because we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's word doesn't relieve us from effort. There is effort involved, but that's not a main ingredient. I think one of the best ways to think about this is if there is a father and a four-year-old son and they decide to build a deck on the back of their house. And the father and son, they go out down to Home Depot and they, they get all the supplies. They get the lumber, they get the concrete, uh, they get the nails, and they take it all back to their house and they start to measure it out and they dig the footings for, for this back porch. And, and then they start to measure and, and they, they line up all the wood and they, they take the saw and the son is so excited and he, he gets ready to saw and the father just comes right alongside him and, and puts his hands over his hands and they, they saw the wood together. And then they start to assemble this back porch and as they're nailing it, right, the dad is, is, is holding the nail as they both hold the hammer and tap in the nails. And after they build this beautiful porch, the son runs to his mom and says, Mommy, Mommy, look at the porch that I made. Did he make the porch? Yes, kind of. They made it together. And so, yes, it takes effort to, have, to, to change in the way that we're talking about, but it is not a main ingredient. The main ingredients are the Holy Spirit and God's Word. You also may be asking is, is why should anything have authority over me or us? I mean, why should anything dictate what I believe or do? Isn't this, I'm losing my freedom? And you actually have a good point. I have a close family member who recently, in a, in a rare moment of honesty, said, well, if I follow what the Bible says, my life, I would, in my life, I would be miserable. And he very much so might be. But freedom, Christian or not, I would agree is a high value. A life that is, is free from bondage or enslavement is far greater than one that is trapped and bound. 
But I don't think we can make the leap to say that if you have any boundaries in your life that you are enslaved or in bondage, that you have complete loss of freedom. I mean, who is more free? The person who gets their paycheck and just spends it however they wish in the moment or the person who places boundaries, maybe makes a budget. One doesn't know if they're going to have enough money at the, end of the, at the end of the month. The other one knows they're going to have enough money at the end of the month. Who is actually free? And so just because Christ comes to, to not enslave us, to set us free, doesn't mean that we are losing our freedom. If anything, we have more freedom. God gives to restrictions to, in our lives to truly set us free. He lays boundaries with hands of love. I mean, with this view, the Bible becomes, goes from being this outdated book with a lot of do's and don'ts to the greatest love story ever told. And so as Christians, we don't believe that we are losing freedom, but we are gaining it. Another thing you might be thinking is, okay, I understand I need to change, but do we really need to believe the whole Bible? I mean, there's some pretty hard stuff in there. And I would say, yes, in any living personal relationship, you're going to have differences. And if we, as soon as we start removing the Bible, we're basically putting ourselves in the seat of God, saying we know better than God. And we have some pretty famous examples of this. Last year, I was back in Washington, D.C., and I was in the Smithsonian. We have a, a picture of it, and I can't believe I found this. It is Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> and when you look at it, you are just struck that there are whole sections that he took an X-Acto knife and cut out because he didn't believe it. And when we don't believe the whole Bible, we are doing the same thing. And so when we take the Bible, we need to take it on the whole canon of God's word, not just the parts that, that please us or the things that we agree with, with. We need to wrestle with all of God's word because God is God and we are not. And he knows much better than we know and his ways are much greater than our ways. So what does it look like when we are unashamed to change? Well, let's look at the 30,000-foot view of it. It's back in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, starting halfway through verse 9. It says this. It says, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So uh, how you turn from God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we see three things when we are unashamed to change that come out through our life. So first, we've been saved to his righteousness, to become like Christ, to love what he loves, to, to cry over what he cries over. Now, because of his power, we are saved from things. First, we are unashamed to change because God's power removes the power of sin. The, I'm sorry, he moves the penalty of sin. We have been saved from his wrath to come. The wrath that we don't have to bury the, bear the weight of our sin in this life having future consequences. We are completely set free. We are delivered from the consequences of our sin. 
Paul continues to talk about this in Romans 3, verse 22, where he says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So as soon as you come into Christ, you are pardoned and set free. This is like a judge declaring your innocence. And this, is, this happens in a moment. This is, I mean, what a relief. We don't have to carry that burden and shame. So first, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Second, we are saved from the power of sin. The pen, first, the penalty. Second, the power of sin. Removing the penalty of sin is an instantaneous thing. Removing the power of sin is something that we work through and grow in the rest of our lives as we move forward. I mean, because we have, we, just like it says in 1 Thessalonians, we are turning from idols to serve and worship the one and living true God. This is more like a doctor performing surgery in us than like a judge proclaiming our innocence. This is something that will be done that takes time. There are sins that get pulled out of us immediately as soon as we become Christians, yes, but there's others that, man, they are a struggle. Because if we're going to admit it, I mean, let's, let's admit it. Sin is fun. Sin, sin gets us excited. But we don't look at the ramifications. We don't see the destruction that happens behind the scene. It's, it's a lot of times it's not logical. It's not worshipful of, of the one true God, even though it might feel good in the moment. But through God's power, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, we have something far greater, something much more satisfying and lasting. Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than the power of sin on your flesh, than your desires to sin. I mean, this is, this is, again, this is not a, I hope you don't leave here going, man, they just told us to do, 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 and don't, 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 or try harder. No, this is a heart change. The Holy Spirit is working on our hearts, and if your heart changes, you bet your behavior is going to change. So when your heart changes, your life will change. And as your heart becomes more like Jesus, there are three things that will just percolate, that will just bubble up all around you. In 1 Thessalonians 1, look at verse 3. We see all three of these very distinctly. Here's what it says. It says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. The work of faith, I mean, that is discipling. That is evangelism. That is sharing our faith with others that don't know Jesus you have labor of love. That is serving others, just like the Fretheims, serving the orphans and widows. And then we have the steadfastness of hope, looking forward to that day in which we will be re reunited with Jesus, our Lord, <clears throat> our Lord and our King. I mean, this all sounds great, but we just have an ability to hijack our growth, don't we? And there's things in our life that we just... Can, we can put in our own way to growing, to be unashamed to grow and to change. 
some of those things are like our schedule. Some of us, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, I put way too many things on my schedule. It's crowded out where then it gets to the point where I don't have any time to engage with the Holy Spirit. I don't have any time to get into God's word. Or maybe some of us, we're addicted to entertainment and fun. Or others, we're always plugged in. Uh, recently, my wife and I, we were reading, we like to read out loud to each other, and we were, we were rereading Gulliver's Travels. Have any of you read that, that book or you know the story? The famous part in that book that all of you have probably heard about was Gulliver was on this ship and he was sailing to, for an adventure and all of a sudden the ship comes across a storm and it gets shipwrecked. And all of a sudden he wakes up and he's on the beach but he's tied down by all these men that are six inches tall. And he goes into captivity of all these men that are six inches tall and they try to communicate with each other. And these men that are six inches tall have this interesting observation. I want to share it with you. They start looking through his pockets and they find his things. And this is from the perspective of the men, of the six-inch men. They say this, he put this engine, a silver pocket watch, into our ears, which made an incessant noise, like that of a water mill, and we conjecture it is either some unknown animal or the god that he worships. But we are more inclined to the latter opinion because he assured us, if we understood him right, for he expressed himself very imperfectly, that he seldom did anything without consulting it. He called it his oracle and said it pointed out the time for every action of his life. Isn't that amazing? And looking around, I don't see very many silver pocket watches, but I would guess that all of you have one of these. So if you were stranded on a beach, tied down by six-inch men, what would they say about this of you? Would it be the same? Would it, would it, would it be your God, the thing that you consult with, with every decision and activity in your life? I mean, I'm, I'm convicted because every week I get a notification of how much time per day on average I'm on my phone. Wow, I was on it that long? If I can spend number of hours on my phone today, I can spend 10 minutes in God's word. We also have the ability to find more weight in others' words than God's word. I mean, we might find it with someone else, some other leader who's charismatic, who, who can win our affections and, and our mind. I mean, what does this 2,000-year-old book really have to say in our, our, in our life today? It's outdated, or maybe some of us are just numb to the fact that this is the word of God. I mean, we got hundreds of Bibles in the back. We all have one. It's probably been on our mantle collecting dust. And yet we have the God that created the universe and he wanted to share himself with you and with me. Powerful. It's powerful that we have God's word in our hands. And so we need to be better at taking the hijacks out of our life that get in our way of being unashamed to change. So you might also be saying, you know, if I'm saved from the penalty of sin, why do I then have to continue to change? Why do I have to overcome the power of sin that's in my life? I mean, I'm already saved. I already know my eternal destination. And I would ask you, why does a doctor who just performed cancer surgery on someone who has lung cancer, why would they ask them to quit smoking? Why would they recommend chemo and continued treatment 
and continued um, tests to see if the cancer comes back. Because they have a new life. They've been given a second chance at life. And moving forward, you don't want that cancer, you don't want that sin to come back up and take away that second life. It's when people call upon Christ that they don't, when they don't follow Christ, great harm is done. An example of this is when Gandhi said this. He was in England and he, and he looked around at how the Christians were living out their Christian faith. And this is what he said. He said, if only Christians would live according to their belief in the teachings of Jesus, we all would become Christians. And that one's got to stab you in the heart a little bit. If only Christians lived out their Christian teachings, we all would become Christians. As Christians, we are called to something much greater. Unashamed change looks much more like Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. So living out that new creation that you are, that is one of the greatest apologetics that you could ever have. Is living out the Christian faith the way that we believe it. Much much like Jim Gostney's boss, right? He comes back to a new firm and instantly he notices things around here are different. The conversations are different. The atmosphere is different. The reading material that's on my boss's desk is different. That is one of the greatest things, greatest ways we can share our faith. Not the only way, but one of the greatest ways we can share our faith. On the inside side of your packet, on the very first page, it says this, and, and Jim Gosney's boss caught this, that God's word changes us through us. It can change others too. That God's word will change us, and through us, it will change others too. So the third We are unashamed to change because God's power removes the the presence of sin. First, it was the penalty of sin, the power of sin. Thirdly, it is the presence of sin. This is when we are reunited with Jesus face to face for all eternity. What a great day this will be. Paul talks about this continuing in Romans 8, verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? And so in this life we are overcoming the power of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit to one day after this life we will be spot-free and perfect sharing in the glory of Christ. And this is what we are looking forward to with great anticipation. This is what should motivate us. This is what should, it should color our decision-making. It should color our walk every day. And this is ultimately what we are looking for, the day in which we will be completely reunited with God. And so we overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word, the penalty, the power, and presence of sin. And so through his word, through the Holy Spirit, we will be increasing in our love for Jesus. So if you were sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't call yourself a Christian, you don't think 
that you're a Christian, I would encourage you to keep asking honest questions about Jesus. Is Jesus who he says he is? But if you are a Christian this morning and you say that you follow Jesus because you believe he is who he says he is, I would encourage you to, to check your heart, to, to, to take a few moments to say, am I, how's my heart with Jesus this morning? Am I fully living in that new creation? Am I engaging the Holy Spirit through prayer and through Bible reading? And you might be saying, you know what, I do that, but I don't feel like I'm continuing to mature. I don't feel like I'm continuing to change. I highly recommend this little book. One of the best parts about it is it's very short. It's called Before You Open Your Bible. It's written by Matt Smithhurst, and it takes nine postures that you can take while you're reading your Bible. And if you just feel like you know, you're not continuing to change, then I would strongly recommend getting this book and reading it before you get into your, into your word and engaging with the Holy Spirit because it will bring you to a way to just to see the Bible that it will continue to work at the hardness in your heart. So again, it's, it's before you open your Bible. Highly recommend it. And then continue to look for works of faith, labors of love, and continue in steadfastness of hope. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit and your word will continue to work on our hearts. That we will be people who are unashamed to change. Because we know with full conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is our Savior. And that your word uh, is very powerful. Powerful enough to create. Powerful enough to judge. But most importantly, power, powerful enough to save us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.